Hello everyone, this is Mel House. Uh, welcome to another edition of Barely Living the Dream. Um, we will get to the actual podcast here in a bit. I just wanted to thank everybody um, for the support so far. Uh, it's actually doing better than I expected. I kind of just wanted to um, have an audio log of all this stuff as we run around, either trying to make our movies or trying to help other people make theirs. Uh, it's been a crazy you know, couple years since this all started. So. I want to start documenting it, and I'm kind of too lazy to type, or too tired to type when it's all over. So um, thanks again for listening. I wanted to quickly mention that um, for those of you, I've noticed we've got a lot of listeners in the UK. Um, keep an eye out for our movie, Clinger. Um, that actually gets released on February the 22nd in the, the United Kingdom. And uh, it's actually getting pretty good reviews already uh, from some press outlets over there. So make sure you check that out. Also, um, for those of you that haven't checked out placeholders yet, um, make sure that if you have like a Roku box or a set-top box that is able to stream, you can go to film, filmon.com and search for the Placeholders channel. Uh, and Placeholders is airing 24-7 on there. That is, uh, that's where a lot of people are seeing it, so I want to make sure to put that out there. Also, um, this is going to kind of be one of our last two episodes that was recorded on the road per se um, in the future we're going to start moving to interview type stuff so um, yeah, there'll probably be a few more on the road type episodes because we'll still be driving back and forth to shoot stuff but uh, this one is a little out of order it's actually from the first trip that we made out west to shoot Wicked Tricks I just kind of thought that this placement would flow better so if it seems like we're talking about things that, if it seems like we're jumping around in time, we kind of are. Uh, but just give you a little heads up. Um, look for several more to come uh, as we start bringing interviews, viewees in and start having more of a sort, quote unquote, studio type setup. Um, this episode is actually a little bit longer too, just because we kind of, you know, really got into talking about um, writing and approaches and our views on certain things. Uh, it might even go, it might go up a little early because this weekend is all about me transitioning my little girl's baby room into a little girl's room. So I think that Sunday I may be too tired to go ahead and put this up. So I might go ahead and throw it up early. So um, my daddy duties are your gain. Hope you enjoy and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. there in the cinema wasteland. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Barely Living the Dream uh, with myself, Mel House, and as always with me, Chris Warren. The, we are still, this is being recorded uh, on pretty much, I guess, the final leg of our trip back from the first week of Wicked Tricks. Yeah. So we're uh, about 400 miles from San Antonio, headed east. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be home before the end of the day. Back to the old H-Town. Yeah. Um, so we figured we'd knock out another one. And we're kind of sitting here talking about things to sort of bring up. And, you know, we're planning on talking to some other people in the future, bringing other people on to talk about specific things. So I kind of started thinking about maybe broaching the subject of writing and how 
kind of the process, you know, everybody's process is different, obviously. Uh, maybe talk about mine a little bit. Chris can maybe discuss his. And, uh, you know, kind of get, get you thinking on along the lines of how to take what you have and get it into a form that's shootable, you know, uh, and it's, and it's turned into a story that's compelling. So I guess we'll sort of jump right in. Like, what would you say? What would, what's your, what's your first step on like the, the writing continuum? For like, me, how do ideas come to you? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it's kind of like, I have to establish, I have to establish what the story is going to set out the plot almost in a way. Uh, but it's not exactly the plot. It's more like, okay, so what a, I have to get in that zone of what I want to write. Like, am I writing suspense? Am I writing a horror film? You know, comedy action? Whatever it is, I have to get in that zone and then kind of figure out figure out the basics. Like, okay, so are we going to have lead male, lead female, all that stuff? Uh, and then just start kind of just start writing it out in a way. Um, normally I hit the plot points, like I'll break down the plot points in my head, kind of where I want to go. Uh, and then I just kind of build around those. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of where, where it starts for me. It's just more of a, it's more of getting in the, just wrapping my head around it. Sometimes I even like will actually sit down and watch movies kind of based around what I'm thinking, just so I can kind of get the headspace for it, know where I want to be. Um, I know for like Imago, let's say, um, I wasn't, I didn't so much as watch movies as I was just kind of like, uh, looking at kind of Lovecraft pictures. I know one of the, one of the things I definitely did listen to as I was like doing the plot points and starting to write was the fountain. I listened yeah. to that a lot as I was writing it. Uh, just kind of on repeat, you know, uh, yeah. it just kind of, it's such a weird and haunting uh, soundtrack that it just kind of put me in that zone and kept me going. So, yeah. What would you say, Mr. House? What, what What are your What are your starting points? Oops, my bad. I actually hit the I actually hit the emergency brake when reaching for an outline that I actually stuck in the car yesterday. Uh, I'll get it in a minute. It's not a big deal. But um, I I think uh, I don't know. Like I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I kind of I mean I have a certain process of steps that I guess I do every time yeah but I don't always use that it doesn't always start the same way like right. um, most of the time I mean everything I've written so far springs out of personal experience like really really personal experiences so I usually will center it around like one or two things or one or two feelings like um, fade to black was paranoia uh closet space was rejection uh, walking distance what you know was um, more self-centeredness and self-preservation kind of stuff and uh, the stuff I put into Imago like when I did my pie pass on it was more suicide -y yeah type stuff yeah uh, there's some of that in walking distance too. Um, and then placeholders was just frustration and mystery spot is just depression. You know, like it's, it's kind of like I can always distill them down to one sort of headspace that I'm in. And that's kind of where I come from. 
and I want to write about those experiences, experiences. So I take specific experiences and kind of, I guess, build this sort of like, it's kind of like a snowball or like when you make a rubber band ball yeah, on yeah. a jack, yeah. you know, like you do twist one around and then you just keep twisting them around, twisting them around until it gets bigger and bigger, and bigger. Right. And you, you know, you, you can't, you can't see the center, but the center's there. Right. That's kind of how I approach it. Um, and I think a lot of like a lot of my process, I kind of like gleaned from Stephen King because I'm a huge Stephen King fan. <clears throat> but in reading everything he says about writing um, and sort of like his approach and him describing his approach, he lets it flow pretty organically. Like he'll kind of have an idea and then sort of just like let the characters of the plot lead him. And I find that that actually happens with me a lot. I try to let that happen. Sometimes I'll have like a midpoint in mind or I, like with walking distance, I had the ending in mind. Um, Closet Space was already written, but like I guess like the way I approached it, um, I sort of like had it how I wanted to shoot the ending in mind, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. So I wasn't writing it, but I was still like directing writing. I, I don't know if that, but you know, like to put my stamp on it, I guess you could say. Um, that was kind of like the overarching feeling for me, but everything leading to that point, I kind of just sort of let happen. Um, even even if I'm not writing the script, like how to play scenes and things like that. So, like some occasionally I'll have one or two moments that I know I want to get to that are like sort of road mile markers. Yeah. And what I'll do if that's if that's sort of happening, what I'll do is I'll do like a much like George Stark from the Dark Half. I'll do like a pencil outline um, uh, on you know regular notebook paper on a legal pad of like how the story's flowing what the character pump moments or beats are and kind of I just go in and start filling in with notes like other things other ideas I have and things that come to me that could kind of work and kind of just build stuff around that and generally like I write I don't, I'm not one of those people that writes all the time I will think of good ideas I guess or the ideas I think are good and I'll try to keep like put them in notes on my phone or write down notes so I don't forget anything but when I do set down to write, I usually do it in like manic bursts. Like I'll knock out nine or 10 pages at a time at least. Yeah. And just kind of like get, let just get it out. Right. Just worry about getting it all out onto the page and then going back and then fine tuning it. You know, I, I usually do four or five drafts on a thing. Like I'll, I'll get it all out get that first draft done. It's, it's usually a piece of crap. Maybe I'll let one or two people read it, but I'll print it out and then go through and do pencil notes and, hone it fine tune it that way yeah. then I'll do another one you know like after that so that's kind of how I build on what I started with and usually when I when I start typing out a script even though I'll try to like knock out a bunch of pages at a time there's there's usually a break where it's like I'll have a few a run of a few days of you know maybe 40 cumulative pages where I'm like halfway through but then I'll because of either life circumstances or me not feeling it or whatever, I'll usually just like step away. Sometimes not even willingly or consciously. I'll be away from it for a week or two, maybe a month, maybe two months. And I'll sort of have to come back to it, reread it from the beginning and then start again. And then I'll do that next burst. So for me, it's, it's a very sort of, I feel like it's a very stop start, uh, rat-a-tat-tat kind of approach. Um, but it works for me. I mean, like I, I still, it still feels of a piece and it's cohesive and I get it all done, but it's not 
I'm not like Stephen King where I go up and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to write for six hours every day. And that's my job. Uh, I wish it were my job. And maybe when it becomes my job, I can do that. But I just can't, I get burned out and I start writing bad shit, stupid shit, just to sort of finish. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that came out of me like pretty, like I felt like I literally was vomiting onto the page. Two things actually. The first season of Placeholders, or like the first nine episodes that we did, uh, the first, I guess, version of it. Yeah. And then uh, Mystery Spot, which is my newest script that I kind of wrote out of anger in response to a, like, in response to a lot of things, but it, it definitely was frustration and it came on the heels of a failed, you know, a failed couple of crowdfunding attempts for this other movie. And, you know, things got kind of backstabby or, you know, disloyal. So it really was sort of fueled by that anger and rage. And usually that's sort of like, anytime anger and rage are part of the equation, I usually do pretty well. If that's, if that's my guess, then you know, I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of it. Uh, so it came, it's, and it came out of me really quickly, so quickly that I was like, man, I don't know if this is good or not, but I sent it to a few trusted people, including a couple of people that are in it. And I got some really, really good positive responses back. So I guess, I mean, like a couple of people told me it's the best thing I've written. So if maybe, maybe I'm starting to change the paradigm a little bit. Maybe I won't have to take forever to ride something. So walking distance took me forever to ride. Yeah. 30 to 45 took me forever to ride. Um, so I don't know. Maybe my process is changing a little bit, but that's generally how I approach, how I approach it. Yeah. So would you say, so, so from what I take from that is like, so you say like emotion is essentially like where your base is. You take that emotion or what brought the emotion in and you use that to build around it. Is that kind of what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a jumping off point. Yeah. And then I'll, you know, if it's a horror thing, things go horribly wrong. It's got to lead to some sort of thing, you know, but I'll try to find, no matter what the scenario is, if it's like, uh, psychic experiments yeah. or interdimensional creatures or whatever uh, public access idiots like I'll try to you'll have those beats that serve the genre either comedy jokes or kills or special effects right. but I try to seed it all in a grounded surrounding that grows straight out of those things I was feeling okay Right. So that when I'm writing situations, I'm writing real situations up to a point, right. and then it becomes you know the stuff of fantasy. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But to me, like it makes it sort of ring true, and I think I've had some success with that because yeah, I do get emails every so often, or you know tweets, whatever, where people will say, "Hey, I really enjoyed such and such. This part really spoke to me," and it usually will be something that I thought was very specific to my experience. Right, close to home. Yeah, but a lot of those things are, you know, even though they can be pretty specific, they're still universal in a way. Right. Everybody has their version of this thing happening. Right. Uh, their version of failure, their version of depression, their version of success. So uh, it usually, you know, a lot of times I've found that it will hit home and, and be fulfilling for people, right. which is great. Right. Because, you know, when you, I feel sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, if when I hand the script over to somebody to read for the first time, I'm like, is anybody going to get this shit? Yeah. Like, is anybody going to understand what's coming out of my stupid head? So it's it's a nice feeling when people do. Right. Well, and I remember, I remember you sending me one of them and like, 
I think I took a couple days to read it, and you were kind of like, you were like, hey, did you, did you get it? Like, do you understand, like, what's going on? And I totally did, you know. Yeah. Great. Like, um, so I guess you kind of have a free flow where I'm a little more, I guess I, I approach it more like a technical thing. Yeah. Like, I try to, like, actually lay out certain bullet points and try to, I mean, yes, I do. There are some emotional things that I put in there, like, from my life, but there's not. I guess I try to more create a different, like, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, yes, this happened to me, but what what can I make that's not me, but still kind of as close to it, I guess is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Because um, I don't, you know, like, I can say, like, in Amago, the whole brother-sister dynamic that's in there is loosely based around me and my stepsister. Mm. Um, you know, coming from kind of a fucked up childhood and all this other stuff. I mean, obviously, like, you know, my dad didn't, my mom didn't kill my dad, that kind of shit, you know. None of that happened. Um, which, hopefully, now that's a spoiler alert. Um, none of that happened. You know, there was no craziness like that. Nothing that over the top, but... I guess that's kind of where I take it and just say, okay, well, let me go above and see if it actually works. And if it doesn't, let me go beyond, below it and see if that'll maybe hit better. Um, and what I mean by below it is like, you know, what if it was just separation? You know what I mean? Something yeah. like that. Um, so I guess you're right. Everybody does kind of have their own differences in writing. But like for me, one thing I can speak to with like Imago was there was like it really wasn't any time for me to like sit down and try to I, I kind of had to just zip into it like it wasn't really a like okay well I'm gonna sit at home and think about this idea and like see what I can do with it like kind of I mean because the way you, we approached it you know it was like hey we've got a month you gotta get it written yeah um, so that was kind of crazy and it was, but it was fun. Like, you know, it was, it was a challenge because like writing, like you said, it's like sometimes you take, you know, you'll write it and then you write pieces and you take a break and then you write some more and then you take a break. And there was really no option for me for that. Like it was like, okay, so you've got a month, we've got to get this thing finished. <clears throat> One thing I wanted to speak to that I kind of wanted to ask you about was while we were writing Mago and I had uh, thrown that first draft at you, but like, I remember we were sitting there talking because we were trying. I was trying to finish and trying to finish it, and I really got writer's block on the end. Mm. Um, I kind of wanted to get a little more from you on that. Like, so, what were you thinking? Whenever, because obviously, you know, you read what I wrote and put in what you wrote. Mm. What were you thinking to get to that point at the end of the movie? Like, what brought you to that point? To be honest with you, I don't remember. Okay, so here's what I remember about me writing Imago or me co-writing. Yeah. I remember adding the suicide stuff. Yeah. And I remember making it a little more Lovecraftian. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah. And I remember adding Christine. Okay. That's it. Okay. Like, I don't remember, I really don't, I can't, other than that, I can't really remember what was yours right. and what was mine. Right. So, do you remember what ending you had, like where you stopped or what ending you had? I never, so. I don't know if you said it. And I have to add, the only reason I remember adding Christine is because I know that's my character because I, you know, Christine's my Christine favorite Trevor, book. Yeah. It's my daughter's middle name. Yep. Yada, yada, yada. So, like, that's the only, 
I probably if she had been Aunt Karen or something, yeah, I would have probably forgotten that too. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead. What you're saying? Um, what I meant, well, because I don't know if you remember this, but literally, like, I got complete writer's block at the end of the movie. At the end of the, I couldn't finish it. I kind of remember, but I don't remember it being an unfinished script. Well, it was. Okay. Like, there so, was no. There so was no you, ending. Okay. Uh, so where did you stop? Basically, I stopped right at the point of we're getting to the climb. Like, it's, we've already climaxed. Like, we know what's going on. We're going down the hill. Okay. Uh, but we're coming up to the point where it's like, okay, this is the finale. Like, you're gonna have the big battle, all that. Like, and I knew, I knew what I wanted, and I remember talking to you about it. Like, obviously, we have to see this thing. Right. Not, not to give anything away. We yeah. have to see what this thing is. We have to. We have to get rid of it or not get rid of it, you know, whichever way approach. Because one of the things about Imago, side note, one of the things about Imago that I really wanted to achieve that was kind of always going through my head as I was writing it was I wanted it to be like, I wanted the audience to always be on kind of the edge of their seats of, well, is she crazy or is she not? Like, I wanted them to, I wanted them to have to actually think about it. Like, I, and the movie I feel, and several people also have, approached me about it. the ones that have seen it like it's premiere and things like that have said you know it's great it's great you know we love it and the fact they they asked me so was it real or not and I was like well that right there told me that I achieved my goal right because that's what I wanted yeah um, and I have to say that like that's kind of it works out because that's the kind of stuff I excel at because people always ask me later about yeah. my stuff. Yeah. They're like, did this really happen? Or what did, what, ha- what did it mean when this happened and this happened? Right. And I'm kind of a fan of that, like the more 80s style approach, or 70s even, like Cronenbergy, Lynchian, don't look now type. Don't answer all the questions necessarily. I mean, not to an extreme aspect, like some movies I hate that are Italian that I won't mention. But, um I like leaving it open and I like leaving things open ended. So the fact that that was your goal with the script, whether you had told me that or not, because I don't remember if you told me that at the time. Uh, yeah, we, maybe, but yeah. but it worked out with my sort of sensibilities. Right. And I think that. So you got to the point where you, we didn't know how to wrap it up, or you didn't know how to wrap it up. Right. We were trying to wrap it up, and I knew how I knew the last shot of the film. Like I knew what I right. wanted. Because it was that one, the one shot of her, right? And I knew I wanted it to end there because it's a great just the, this one, the close up, correct? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So and it's that it's a great moment for because people. I think the shot before that, if I'm not mistaken, you know the where someone's there and they're not right. No, well, the, well, I don't that, think that was written yet. That was not written. Okay, yet. yeah, that, and I, that that's that's making me remember right. What? Okay. So I think what happened was, and this is actually. This shit, this kind of shows a good co-writer relationship. Kind of that we're like, we're, we complement each other's strengths, I guess. Right. Is that the stuff that I added, which was the me- the suicide shit and the the complicated relationship with the ants. Right. Made it so easy to pull that other stuff out and add it to the ending. Yeah. And that kind of drives, that drives the last 20 minutes of the movie. Okay. You know, because all the... The yeah, visions and the, it's the, it's, what it's, they're saying to one yeah, another, and when they show up, the three people—it's a complete mind fuck at the end, right? I mean, not and not giving anything away with that. I mean, you right. need to watch. So it's it. kind of like it almost those you put those pieces in, and by just drawing a couple of lines between them, 
it does almost all the work for you. Yeah. So I think yeah, it was like that was the last because every everything kind of fell into place after that. Yeah. Uh, with the just because of the Christine character, and uh, you know, the darker sort of mental stuff that was going on. Yeah, because it goes very at the end. It goes very like. It's almost very from beyond you. Yeah. You know what I mean? In a way. Yeah. And um, Nightmare on Elm Street ish. Yeah. It gets real weird real quick. Yeah. What's real? What's not? Is this yeah. really this person saying this to you? Or is this your version of this person saying this exactly. to you? Exactly. Or some other person of some other things version. Exactly. Knowing that you want, that you know this person putting their mask on and saying these things to you that that person would never say. Exactly. Classic Freddy shit. Yeah. Or any, you know, mental mindfuck bad guy. Yep. So, like, it kind of. That really kind of became the engine that the end of the movie runs on. Right. And then it became easy to sort of get to that point that we all wanted, which is, is it or isn't it? Yeah. What What do you think? Like, basically, yeah. it's, a, it's a, the classic question of what do you figure it out? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember, this is something I wanted to ask you about, because uh, I don't know if you've ever had to. I know I did, but I never saw you do this. But, like on the fly writing like because remember I had to do that for there was that one scene that we were like this just isn't linking up right yeah 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 so we have to write this scene in here and so literally like I had an hour before I think it was an hour hour and a half before we started shooting yeah and I literally just sat there and speed wrote yeah got it, got this scene just laid out real quick and I ran upstairs threw it at you was like what do you think yeah and you're like yeah perfect do it yeah, um, I had to, I, maybe a little bit on walking distance. I don't really remember, so it must have been minimal. Closet space, a lot. Right. And, you know, that's... I hate mentioning it because people misread it and think that I'm trying to take credit for Jason's script, especially in including Jason. Um, but there were parts that we had to... Here's the thing, the script was great. Yeah. But once we got to... Much like Wicked Tricks, once we got to the house and built the location and build what we had to build. Right. There's stuff we had to add to make it all work together. Right. Just because it wasn't, we're pulling it off on low budget, so it's like we have to make it work for what we have. It wasn't cohesive. Right. And there, the big stuff I remember writing was uh, we had to figure out a way to motivate light inside the closet space. Right. Um, and... Uh, because the glow sticks just weren't enough for the camera that we had. Yeah. Because it was it was before cameras got really good. Yeah. Right. Digital cameras got really good. Y'all, you were shooting on a DVX. D DVX then. Yeah. 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 So it's like things look soft and fuzzy right. with that kind of light. And right. uh, so Will actually, I'll give Will credit for once. Will Molina. Okay. I hate to be a dick, but you know, I just came off a terrible experience. We threw me under the bus again. Uh, but he actually had a great idea, and he's like, "What if they put on rope lights?" as like kind of like climbing gear, survival type stuff. And so we came up with this whole thing where the tech guy on the team builds these portable battery packs that these lights plug into that all actually worked. And they kind of wrap the lights around them and that's kind of what lights, that provides their light. Right. And it looks really creepy and cool. And it, it also, like it almost lights them enough on, on its own, but it also motivates tungsten light if we needed to add more light to them. Just some kicks. But to set all that up, I had to write like a three-page scene that morning so fortunately we had a printer there at the house and I just was I got up at like 5 a.m. and just started yeah. running through <laughs> and you know the characters voices were already there right. we'd already done a bunch of shooting with them so I kind of could lock into that zone really quick yeah and uh, 
so I wrote that scene and then I think part of the hive chamber stuff just to make it work and then maybe oh the end where uh, you know the very end of the movie I think yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think it ended differently um, if I'm remembering correctly I really have to go back and look I actually do have a, a revision version of the script but that's the that's the time I remember that's the time I remember most like doing a big chunk of on the fly writing right was to to, to justify those rope lights which I'm glad I did because it uh, it solved a lot of problems um, so yeah yeah okay. and yes I for the record Jason Stewart still wrote the script I'll say it again and did a great job yeah I mean yeah um, you know I mean, I remember watching Clouds of Space, and I was like, "Man, this this is crazy and weird and like just out there, you know." Yeah. But I loved it. Like it was just so crazy, crazy and weird. It's the best way I can use, the best words I can use for it, because you know, it's just like you're taking these what four, four or five characters, five, five, you're taking these five characters down this just crazy. Just watch the movie, like, yeah, you know, can't yeah. even explain. Like, it's just amazing. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I was um, I recently because I got offered a gig doing uh, some director for hire work. I had to cut together a reel, which I hadn't done in a while, and uh, I just showed them just like clips of some of my, I guess, best stuff that I directed. Which you know, there's only been like five things, so I had to cherry pick stuff and. I was I kind of revisited that film because I was going through and getting stuff and like I forgot how much I really liked how it turned out. I mean, of course, every movie has its caveats because of behind the scenes stupidity and the crew mutiny on Closet Space is one of you know just everything that happened because of the movie colors my perception of the movie. Yeah. And I'm still seven grand in the hole on that movie, and I probably always will be. Yeah. Um, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, but. It was nice to look at it again and just sort of appreciate it for what it was. Like Evan's death scene, I fucking love. Yeah, her death scene's where her throat bubbles yeah, and she spits up all the blood. Like it actually came together really well. Her performance is great. Stacy, I'm just throwing out props for people I hate this whole episode, but yeah. Stacy actually did a really good job of blocking that, and putting it together yeah. to where it sells. Um, so. Like it was, it was, it was a good experience in a lot of ways, yeah. and I think like if I'm if I kind of back off objectively and sort of rate my favorite films that I've done, like it sets pretty high up there. Um, as far as oh, this this works pretty well, I think you know for what we had and what we did because we only spent twelve thousand dollars on that movie, you know. So it fifteen actually at the end of the day, yeah. So. You know, for what it is, and, and what it's, it's still out there, it still airs on TV. So um, that was uh, that was that was uh, that was a good one. I mean, so we're talking since we're talking about this, what what experiences have you had with directing stuff that you haven't written? Directing stuff that I haven't written? Yeah. Um, well, okay, so besides like stuff I did in college, which, you know, that was all written by someone else, and which was fine. I mean, you know, I think going into that approach, it's interesting because, um, like, you know, right now there's a TV series that I've, that I directed called 25 Mary. Uh, I actually, we ended up, we ended up collecting that essentially uh, 
from from another director, another another company, and uh, the two actors, Nick and Nick and Brittany Mills, they both uh, co-wrote that together, and they kind of pitched us the idea, pitched us the idea of well, you know, how do you feel about how do you feel about taking over this and directing it, Chris? And I was like, well, I mean, sure, why not? Let's give it a shot. Uh, it's interesting, to say the least, to get into that that zone because I feel like I feel like it's not hard to do, but I feel like in some aspects I lose the I lose a little bit of what they're wanting. If that makes sense, yeah. so I feel like I have to have a close connection with the writer, so that way I can kind of get into their head and feel what feel them out essentially and feel out what they wanted what exactly they really wanted in the scene yeah um, just so I can achieve that not only for my vision but also for their you know their writing ability and give them props for their writing um, which I feel like it did a pretty good job with 25 and married um, you know everything Nick and Brittany have, have watched they both were really happy with um, really stoked and excited you know because a because it looked better than what they were what they originally were getting, which they were really upset about. Um, and B just you know that I was achieving their I was achieving what they saw in their head, which made me happy as a director because it was exactly what I wanted in mind. So with that in mind, it really it really worked out, and I think it was a great experience. Uh, on that one at least um, and that's really it I mean like I haven't I've directed a few things I haven't really gotten as far as you have uh, hopefully soon that will change and believe me there's lots of news coming hopefully uh, but what would you what would you have to say then like as far as you having to direct something that's, you know besides obviously closet space which you but yeah witchcraft like, witchcraft yeah like it, it, I, so the first movie I did, I wrote. So I kind of was like touring it, and uh, I actually got an auteur award for it. <laughs> but then, like the next two, Witchcraft and Closet Space, were written by other people. Uh, and Witchcraft, we didn't. I actually don't think I did any on the fly writing on that one because we were pretty much told not to change anything. You know, it's like a certain movie got sold, and that was yeah. that's what had to happen. Yeah, that's what had to happen. Um, but it was, I, you know, I kind of at the time I was just happy for the opportunity, and I had seen a couple of the other movies, so I kind of knew what they wanted, more or less, and I just tried to make it work for what we had, which right. was not much. Right. Uh, but I didn't really feel as much of a personal connection to it. Like that's one that. I definitely did not try to insert myself into. There was no way to do it for me, really. Like yeah. I couldn't really. And Tim did a good enough job of being Will Spanner that I don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, closet space was. I mean, I liked the script from the beginning. Actually, the reason that we did it is because I liked the script. Like. Um, basically, after we did Witchcraft, one thing led to another. And someone went, you know, these people approached me and wanted to finance my next movie. And I knew, I had Walking Distance written at the time, but I knew it was not going to be able to be done for 12 to 15 grand. So 
I immediately thought of Closet Space, which Jason had showed me because he wrote it for another guy that worked for a production company in uh, California. But that never happened, so it was still sort of sitting around. I was like, hey, what if we make Closet Space? So I'd already kind of like started vibing with the script because I enjoyed reading it the first time. Yeah. Uh, it was initially written to be on like a beach, a beach house, you know, the things would come out of the sand and stuff. Yeah. Because it's written for California. Right. Um, so, it didn't, you know, I kind of already was drawn to it and then I like, added a couple more things, both in like the, the, re the stuff I added and the things that, the way I approached directing performances, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the last thing I did that someone else wrote, honestly, because I got tired of doing it after that. It causes too many problems. Right, you get... Yeah, you get into fucking weird fights. and I mean, Imago's different because yeah. we're partners on that, but it just becomes too much, man. People, like, get shit twisted. And the thing is, I misspeak a lot. People think that I say that I direct, I wrote the movie too, but that's not what I mean. You know, I'm just kind of like, you know, talking about the shit that I wrote, added, or talking about directing it. You know, creating it that way, but it just caused a lot of weird passive aggression, and I, I really don't want to deal with it. At least right now. Well, and side note, just to be clear, like that doesn't just happen. You know, what I mean, like on just closet space. I mean, I can't tell you how many times on Mago, you know, people have mis mistaken you as the director. Oh yeah. You yeah. know what I mean, and shit like that. And I, I don't get pissed off about it because I know the truth. You know what I mean, like. Yeah, I know what really happened, and there's no sense of being mad about it. Well, yeah, look what it says on the fucking box. Exactly. You know, I've had so, credit, I've had credits stripped from me just because of money fights we got into later. Yeah, and I don't give a shit because you just go. I have to just go on IMDb and see what really what the real credit is. So it's not that it's not that big of a deal, but you right. know, whatever. So, but you know what I mean? Like I was just I was speaking to that whole yeah. thing about you know people feeling robbed and like yeah. crap like that. Like it's it's not. Don't. That's one thing I can speak to on that is don't get upset if you've directed something and say your collaborator or whoever else you're working with, you know, they happen to do an interview and somebody accidentally mistakes them as the director or as whatever, you know, don't get, if it's a position that you've held in that film, don't get mad if they get mistaken. Well, shit, dude, it happens all the time. Yeah, it happens on... How many people when Hostel came out thought Quentin Tarantino directed it? Exactly. You know, because he was the presenter. Exactly. So it happens on a huge level because that there's a reason for that. They want you to think that. Yeah. So you go see the movie. Exactly. You know? So, yeah, it happens all the time. Chill the fuck out. As long as you get what you're contractually obligated to and you don't get money screwed. Like, if anybody's gotten money screwed over all this stuff, it's me. Yeah. So that's what, like, extra pisses me off about all that stuff. Right. I'm like, why are you bitching? Your movie never would have gotten made. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that kind of actually, it led to a fight because when the offer to do movie number three came up, I initially went to that same writer and was like, hey, you've got this other script I read that I like. What's, you know, would you like to do that? Yeah. And he was like, no, I don't know. I don't know if you could do justice to it. Okay, you got all lofty writery. So I was like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm doing walking distance. And yeah. you'll, you haven't heard of and probably never will hear of the other movie. So, you know, that's it. So it's just easier for me to just write. It's not that I think that I'm the best writer in the world. No. It's just easier for me to write my own shit and direct it. Keep the drama out of it. Exactly. Keep the drama out of it. Work working with as few psychopaths as possible. So. Which is one thing I, I have to, you know, I've I've come to learn is that 
the less trauma you have on set, because no matter what, there's going to be something. Yeah. But the less trauma you have on set, the less trauma you have in pre-production, the better your film is going to turn out. Yeah. Because drama's just stress, and there's no sense in having more stress on top of the stress that you already have. You know, you already have, you're already piled on. Whether you're the writer, the director, the first AD, any of those key players that start off in pre-production, you already have enough stress on your plate. The last thing you need is more, you know, and, and to deal with that crap is just, it's enough. And, you know, honestly, like, and I know you and I have talked about this before. It's like, if there's drama and it's not needed, get rid of it. Like, yeah, just get rid of it. And again, even if it's a person that you like, get rid of it. Yeah, fire them. On the first day you feel trouble, fire them. Yep. I can't, yeah, we were just talking about this yesterday. Yeah. Like, how many people, like, if we could go back, who we who we would can immediately at the first sign of trouble. And there's, you know, several people. I wish I, the thing is, now I know other people too immediately. Other people that are better, with better attitudes, that yeah. can immediately replace those people. Right. At the time, we didn't. Right. So you feel boxed into a corner. Exactly. Or they said, I've had this happen on three or four movies now, where that person will set themselves up to be like a production hub, where like they bring other people in, or they have people stay with them. Right. So like they're, they're alleviating, they're alleviating some sort of uh, pressure off the production where it's like they know they can't be fired. Right. Because then it's going to cost you a whole bunch of money to replace them and get new hotels to house all those people. Or you lose losing those people because they're their friends. Exactly. Fuck that. Like, look for all that. I mean, I'm talking about my movies, like, but also I saw this just happen on a movie. That we, the, the, the shit show that we keep talking about, yeah, uh, which is not wicked tricks, not wicked way. tricks, of course, disclaimer. But it, some someone in the crew set themselves up to not be fireable, right? And it totally, it worked totally. Yeah, it worked for it worked out perfectly for them. Probably ruined the movie. Uh, you know, totally jacked and it jacked it up so much that the producers admitted it to me in confidence that that's what happened. But and also at the end of the day, that's something else you need to realize too. Like at the end of the day, if you're getting into a situation like that and you're you're seeing all these red flags pop up but nobody else is, and they're just thinking, oh, everything's hunky dory, you may want to think about stepping away. Like just walk away from it before it, before all hell breaks loose. Yeah. I mean, unless the money is just like super good and you're like, like really good, and you're just like, you know what? I'm gonna bite the bullet on this and just deal with it. Yeah. Who cares? But if the money's not worth it, man, just start thinking about walking away and how you're gonna how you're gonna achieve that without without pissing anybody off. Like people, like somebody who may have referenced, may have recommended you, or something like that. You know, because nine times out of ten, if they recommended you and you come on and they're already dealing with a bunch of shit, they're gonna already unload on you when you get there. And they're going to tell you exactly what's going on. They're going to be like, holy crap, like, you know, it's this, this. We just really need your help. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that happens, that's another red flag. Oh, shit, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Right. But anyway, back to writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enough of us going off on a tyrant uh, or a rant. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I have to speak to the collaborating side of things, um, at least with you. It was because you're really the only one I've collaborated with. Mm. Um, and speaking to that, like, 
I think relatively it worked well. Um, I, I didn't see I, we didn't have any issues to say the least. But yeah. I think that's because we both handled it from a professional manner of you know this is what this is it like this is the business you know yeah the business in quotations. Um, we just have to make sure you know that we hit everything. And, uh, like you said, we you know we both strengthen each other's weaknesses. Um, well, I'll say that more for you. I really don't have any weaknesses. Oh, thanks a lot, asshole. <laughs> so anyway, I have to maintain my image. Yeah, of course. <laughs> You're genius. Yeah, my shit doesn't stink. Yeah. FYI, everybody, my shit doesn't stink. <laughs> anyway, so, it smells real bad. Yeah. To be truthful, it smells <laughs> real bad. Yeah. Plenty of hotel nights. Yeah, Chris knows. Yeah, it's stinking. Uh, so anyway. So anyway, but. Yeah, I, you know, I would say that if you can find somebody that you can, you know, kind of get with and like, y'all can y'all can dig through the trenches together on things and not have issues. Uh, I would definitely say like that's probably a good thing and to keep that going. You know, I know several people that collaborate all the time. Uh, two of them we actually just worked with. You know, they've been writing, collaborating, and directing together for a very long time. Um, Who's that? Jason and Bria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They've been working for, like, I don't know how For a while, years, yeah. For a long yeah. while. And, uh, you know, they, they just stuck together and they make it work. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it, there's a bond there, you know. It's a bond of brotherhood, whatever, whatever kind of crazy otherworldly things you want to say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you have to... You have to be able to work well together, and if you can find that, you know, keep it. Make sure it keeps going. Don't don't lose that shit because you know, at the end of the day, it's nice to have somebody you can go, hey, um, what do you think about this? Is it shit? Is it good? Like somebody that can be brutally honest with you, yeah, and isn't afraid to do that. Right. You know what I mean? And say, well, I think that's garbage. I don't know why you wrote that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get your point. I see what you want to do because you did that to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, well, yeah, I know it did. Thanks. So anyway, well, fuck, we're producing a movie, man. Yeah, yeah. I just no, I I'm not here to suck your dick. No, I, I mean, and that's what people need to realize. You know, yeah. they, you, you're not looking for enablers because yeah. that's not what you want. Because no. you guys are gonna crash and burn because everybody's just gonna be circle jerking one another, and you're not gonna be making the best possible thing. Exactly. You know, because I guarantee you, all that fucking fake positive reinforcement is going out the window when you show it to somebody outside of your circle yeah. that's either in California or whatever anybody that's going to buy it yeah. like go to AFM and see how long that flies yeah. you know what I mean they're going to tell you to your face your, your shit is crap yeah we have no need for it here's why this doesn't work maybe they won't be mean about it but they're not going to they're not going to mince words yeah because it's a business exactly you know so you're not here to be friends like right. don't get me wrong there is a friendship but when you're doing the business side of it, that goes out the window. And you have to understand that. Like, don't, I mean, there's been tons of times that that's happened with us where you get it twisted and you think, well, because we're friends, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna take care of me on the business side. It's like, no, man, like you gotta do your job. Yeah. Like you can't, you know, and then. Yeah, I'm, pay, I'm paying you to do this. That yeah. doesn't mean sit around for three days. Exactly. It's nothing. It's like you're doing a job. Yeah, because like, it has nothing to do with Because I got to work, you got to work. Fuck, exactly. shut the fuck up. Exactly. But, yeah. uh, what was it you, you saying? Me busting your chops made me think of something. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, I the thing is, like, it's been hard for me to. 
I try to push people to be as honest as possible with me because I think that they think that they I hate a lot of people and people are quick to like become the focus of my rage but generally I'd like to think it's for good reason you know like real reasons not ego reasons like you fucking stole money you didn't do what you said you were gonna do you fucked me over business wise type stuff right if you like my shit or don't like my shit I really don't care like we can get past that I'm friends with a lot of people that don't like the movies I did yeah you know but if they did, they don't turn it into some personal ego thing where they think they're better than me. You know what I mean? Right. Like it doesn't get really weird. Right. It's just what I did is not for them, and maybe what they do is not for me. Fuck, dude. I mean, honestly, Will is the perfect example of that. Yeah. Because I I am not a fan of those Hatchet movies. Yeah. And he's a huge part of those movies. Yeah. And we talked about that the last time we worked together, but we respect one another. Like yeah. that doesn't really matter in the right, relationship, right? Right. right. And. All the experience that he's got, whether whether or not it comes from movies I like or don't like, is valuable experience. You know, so all that to say, I think people think that I will get mad at them for petty reasons, which I really try hard not to do. So it's like when I send out a script for people to read, sometimes I don't feel still recording. Yeah. Sometimes I don't feel like. I'm getting honest feedback. Yeah, I do think people sometimes jerk me off because they think it's what I want to hear. So I try to push and say, hey, look, if there's really something that doesn't work, tell me. Tell me because I'm, you know, you, you get so close to something, you can't see the forest for the trees. Right. You know? So, and you know who I think actually does the best job of that right now is probably Brittany Miles. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, she's not mean or anything. She's just like, well, I don't understand why this and this happened. This is not clear to me. Yeah. And she, it's because she's coming at it from a totally different perspective. Right. She doesn't have the same background or whatever as me. She's younger, you know, than us. And so um, so I'm, then, I'm, then I do look at it. I'm like, okay, well, this is... And, you know, to an extent, Melanie does that too. Yeah. But in the past, she's done it and just didn't really... I, it's not that she didn't get it, but she didn't, I guess, see how we were going to direct it. Right. And that was the whole, I guess. Yeah. So in the end, she's like, oh, okay. Like the closet, I mean, like the walking distance stuff. Yeah. The, the montage like yeah. nobody understood how that nobody was going to work got it. No. but then when they saw the movie they're like oh shit that's how it works makes perfect sense and I try to explain it over and over on set I mean, you got to the point where you got frustrated where you're just like just trust me yeah like, totally just let me shoot this shit like, so shut up. so yeah there's there's I do get an element of that from Melanie where she'll say oh this doesn't work this doesn't work but I don't know if it's just because of a production thing that you know she doesn't do any of that yeah. That maybe she doesn't see, okay, well, this shot's going to tie into this or whatever. Right. Because yeah. I'm not the best at calling out that stuff in scripts either. So you write, you write more like a novel. Yeah. Where it's a story. It's not about what's going on. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's not like a shooting script. Yeah. Um, so anyway, because Brittany has that experience, she kind of comes at it with those questions already answered. Right. And it's more like a, okay, so why is this and this happening? Is this clear? I'm a clear here. So it's it's helped a lot. You know, I don't I don't always tweak stuff, but there are a few things where I'm like, okay, well, people do need to understand that beat. So I'll go back and look at that again and make it clearer. Um, but yeah, that's a problem that I kind of keep running into. And the thing is, I don't. There, there's like five people I trust to like send scripts to. Outside of that, so like I could just send it to people I don't really know that well. But my experience in that regard has been terrible. Yeah. 
because then it becomes a weird threatening ego thing. I get pages of notes from some frustrated writer that's never made a movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it becomes that. And then like people like want to like change, like want to rewrite the whole script for me. Uh, that happened on walking distance. Fuck you. Wow. Well, it just it was a really arrogant, obnoxious thing to do. Yeah. Because we, we offered a role to him, you know? Yeah. Um, you just say yes or no. Yeah. I don't need your freaking notes. Or your co-writer credits. Or your attempt at a co-writer credit. Right. But anyway, um, so that's kind of been something I've been struggling with, I guess. But I'm kind of finding the zone. And I, I'm actually finding us. I've gotten to a point to where a few of the people that are reading this stuff of mine don't really have anything to lose or gain by telling me the absolute truth. Yeah. So, because most times I'll send it to people without even telling them if they're involved. So it's like they don't really have a personal stake necessarily. Right. right. And they'll give me honest feedback. And I've been pretty successful. Like, you know, William, I mean, William, Debbie, Lisa, Robert, or, uh, are all people that don't really necessarily need to tell me that I'm awesome. Right. Uh, maybe Lisa and Debbie more because they're friends, but I don't really think they, they're honest people. They're you know? honest. Like, I don't think they pull punches, which is why we're friends, you know? Yeah. And they give me valuable feedback and input, you know? And Robert England has no reason to tell me that he likes my stuff if he doesn't really like it. Right. It's, you know? But he is into it and he'll you know he'll, he'll tell me specific things that he likes and um, that is super beneficial because it helps me realize like realize like okay I could write something like this and it will work you know it'll work at least for the guy that did Freddy and that's saying something yeah you know so um, finding your sort of I guess support staff or support circle of fresh eyes is pretty important too Right. I used to be very, very um, isolationist about, like, I'll write stuff in a vacuum. I don't want anybody to see it until it's time to shoot. If you don't get it, fuck you. You know, like, now I think I'm sort of, like, more, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm middle of the road in, like, Compromiseville. Yeah. But I, I've moved a little bit over to where I'm like, okay, well, I need to send it out to a few people and get their, see what they think, see if it works. Right. See if I don't just have my head up my own ass. But people that I trust, people that aren't out to get something right. or take the work that I've done and use it as like a stepping stone to basically have done all the hard work and then rewrite maybe a page or two and take her writer credit, which I've felt a bunch, including Jeez. that other guy I just mentioned. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I would say that 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 kind of that kind of approach is really important. One thing I want to circle back to: how much time do we have? Uh, I think we got about ten. Okay, ten, yeah. fifteen, something like that. How so? For example, twenty-five and married. Yeah. Or placeholders, even. All right. The, the the episode that I wrote. Right, that right, you right. Did. Yeah. Sorry, didn't totally forgot about that. Um, how do you, as a director, how do you personally? start vibing with something that's not something you wrote. Like, how do you, you know, personalize, not necessarily personalize it, but make it, I wouldn't say make it your own, but get to that point where you're like, I want to do this and I'm excited about it. Right. Um, 
really with that, it's, it's kind of a, I think it's, it all, it kind of goes back to that connection that you have with the person who yeah. wrote it. Uh, which I mean, you know, some people actually can do this and like never really have ever spoke to the writer ever, besides for when they get on set. Yeah. Uh, but like for placeholders, you know, I know that when we first did those nine episodes, you know, you were like, I don't want to direct them all. And uh, yeah, you kind of threw a couple of them up to several other directors and like, hey, you know, y'all just pick what you want. And I knew like, I. I for me, it was kind of in that in that realm reading the episodes because like, I was reading them all. Yeah, like, I was kind of just trying to find the one that I felt attached to, if that makes sense. Yeah, the one that was calling because you know it's almost like it was calling out to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like hey, this is this feels right. These moments work. I really like I really like how this is vibing. Uh, and I, I'd like to tell this part of the story. I think yeah. that's kind of what, I think that's kind of what got me at least. Yeah. As far as that was concerned, because like I remember, I remember like it was the finale episode, and then it was like, it was like, it was like eight, seven. I think it was like one through five. You did six, seven, eight, nine. You kind of let everybody else pick from, right? The right, the directing or writing. Uh, the directing. I did and uh, writing. Well, I mean, writing, you wrote them all. Directing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were those two that Brittany and Right. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there was, I thought it was six, seven, eight, and nine. You kind of left open to everybody. I think that, well, I did one, two. Right. Robert did three. I did four. Carlos did five. Six. Original yeah. six was, uh, was James and... Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was James yeah. and Goose. Yeah, and then seven was Cliff. Yep. Eight was me again, I think. And then nine was me. Nine was you. Yeah. Right. Ripped on. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, I feel like in that aspect, as far as, and I, I'm not sure if this is how it kind of works on film, like bigger budget TV shows or whatever. You know, whenever they bring in a guest director or whatever, but I feel like for me it was one of those situations where I'm like, okay, I'm reading the episodes. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can tell. You know, it's kind of like what you feel like your strengths are as far as a director. You kind of have to relate to what is being written. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, because I felt that I could. I felt that I felt very strongly that I could handle episode nine versus the other episodes that were left on the table. Yeah. Which, you know, I kind of completely am happy that I did that because looking at episode seven, the one Carlos did, it's actually really funny when you look at it. And they did, he did a really good job with it. But I never would have thought to do what he did with it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because that's not where my brain was. And that felt like a... And I know that Carlos has strengths in interviews and stuff like that, doing that kind of thing. Yeah. So he was, you know, that was his strength. He felt like it would work better for him. So obviously, it, and, and it did, you know. To be fair, it was written that way too. True. But I didn't, but I didn't have yeah. that yeah. kind of strength. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't feel, I felt like I could do it if that was the necessity of it. Yeah. But I felt like, I felt like at that point, I was like, eh, it's, it's good, but I don't want it. Yeah. 
and it wasn't just calling to me and saying, Chris, this is something really good. Yeah. Where when I got to nine, and you bring in all this crazy shit that goes on, which, by the way, will hopefully be coming soon to add to the placeholders yeah. uh, episodes. Uh, I mean, for Christ, can I can I say one thing? Yeah. I mean, for Christ's sake, you had you had a white guy, a Russian white guy, in an Eddie Murphy suit. Yeah. Like, how much more off the wall can you get? Yeah. And that, and you know, I felt like I could play really strong with that. And then the whole idea of what's going on with Channel 19. Yeah. I felt very strong too. Um, and I felt like I could handle it. And I, I think I did pretty well. I mean, I don't know. I'll let you you answer that one eventually if you haven't decided to tell me how you think I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fine. The problems I have with that episode are not on the directing side. Yeah, because nine times out of ten, you tell me, you'll tell me if it sucks or not. Yeah, well, even yeah. if it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because I can't fucking waste time anymore. Like, right. You know, I've had that. And so, yeah. No, yeah. I'm a full-on producer now. Yep. Fuck your feelings. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, the problems I have with that episode are on the post-production side. But now we have people that can handle it. Handle it. So, what about the same, I guess, same question to you? Well, I mean, that's why we, we had kind of talked about it. Oh, witchcraft okay. and closet space. So. Well, and I mean, you know, with 25 and Mary, I guess this will be before we get to closing at this point. Yeah, pretty close. Um, I guess with 25 and Mary, it was kind of just like. It was a new thing. It was a challenge. You know, it was something that, because I'm always, I, I've always been in the mindset of taking on new challenges and trying to overcome and just, you know, raise the bar. Let's let's see what we can do to raise the stakes. You know, um, and I'd never, I'd never truthfully directed. I mean, besides placeholders, I'd never really truthfully directed like a comedy. You know what I mean? Like that was just straight. And this is not only just a comedy, this is a rom-com, like romantic comedy, you know, like you have drama, you have all that in it, and it's also funny at the same time. So I'd never truthfully done that, and I was like, man, that's a challenge. Like, I know I can, I know I can handle comedic timing, so let's see if we can, let's see if maybe we can do this, make it, make it something, make it sellable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. so that was that was the main reason I took on Twenty Five Married was because it was a challenge, and because you know from what I what I had saw from the web series stuff that they had already shot, um, it actually looked it, it didn't look great, but the the comedy was there. It was fu- it was funny. They had great moments, you know, that you could tell was purely actor based, not really director director or editing base like it was just the fact that they had just nailed comedic timing very strong you know yeah i have to say this nick is nick is quite the comedic actor i mean he just he can nail comedic timing on the point you know uh, and nine times out of ten if anybody serves something up to him he can knock it down with no issues yeah um whether it be improv or script um so with that being said, I was like, well, it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. And it's a new challenge that I'm willing to take on. So that's kind of how that all fell into place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as far as working with, with them and writing, I, I don't remember. Obviously, we're still trying to finish it. But I don't remember ever having to step in and say, eh, I don't know if I like that writing. 
like I know there were a couple times where I changed a little bit of the pacing because I just felt like it wasn't working right um, I felt like they were trying to achieve they were trying to move something a little too fast when it needed to kind of they needed to pump the brakes and take it and into a dramatic moment you know um, they needed to pump the brakes and not not make it so funny you know because every and that's one thing about writing I can say is even if you're doing a comedy it still has to have the dramatic as aspect even if you're doing a drama it still has to have the comedic aspect and I mean you can't you can't do a whole drama with nothing funny in it because eventually people are just going to want to kill themselves or just walk out of the theater because they're bored you know you know what I mean? They never really keep them enthralled. It's, yeah, ordinary people's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Do what? I was, I, I was kind of like thinking of examples where they did do that. I mean, that's the kind of just where I would, you know, that was one of my other notes, I guess, to close. That would be what I would throw out there. Yeah. Just remember that as a writer. I think, I mean, yeah, well, I think, you know, you can, you can do pure versions of those things but you have to be really good yeah like you have to make sure that the the script is tight but it also breathes I guess it's like two things that are sort of warring against each other yeah um because like people always say like I always think of horror movies because that's my thing and every fucking interview I read every interview the two most overused phrases are in, in in horror movies interviews about horror movies suspenseful are thriller. well suspenseful so three suspenseful thriller it's not really a horror movie it's more psychological suspenseful thriller but also like they're always like oh yeah our, our, our girl is a kick-ass tough heroine like you never seen before and I'm like yeah okay that, I've never seen that before like that's in every horror movie pretty much yeah pretty much you know so you're not you're not reinventing the wheel just make sure it's good yeah. like everybody tries to rip off Ripley or Sarah Connor but they don't look at the stuff that makes those characters strong okay but anyway that's not what we're talking about today yeah but the third thing the thing I was bringing up was like our horror like most good horror movies our horror movie has a touch of comedy like you have to laugh so that the scares are scary. You have to have a break. And I'm like, just like The Shining, right? Or The Exorcist. Yeah. Or Rosemary's Baby. Or Nosferatu. Or Dracula. Or Frankenstein. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. those are not known. Those those films are not known for. Or Nightmare on Elm Street, really. Friday Thirteenth. Even like, I, those movies are not known. I don't think for their comedic breaks. Halloween. I, I can go on for days. Like all the classic horror movies pretty much are not horror comedies. There are good movies that are horror comedies that have funny shit in them, but you don't have to have that stuff. You just have, because then you're, you're, you're just writing to the rule, but right. you have to make sure that if you're going to not have the stuff, you, you're delivering good content in the other context. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can't beat the audience into submission. Right. Because like, okay, for example, The Shining, or The Shining. Well, I'll say The Shining because that one's easily sort of parsed out because there's so little, not so little going on in the movie, but there's so little that you need to make it work. Yeah, it's just like this could be a whole other episode. Well, it could be, but well, I'll try to wrap it up. But there's yeah. only three, there's four characters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Danny, Wendy, yeah. Jack, and The Overlook. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's all, that's all you have. You have Creeping Dread, Snow, but then you have little sort of character moments with everybody. 
that aren't about either one of those things, but they feed into the overarching sort of feeling that the movie's giving you. That's what Kubrick was really good at. Yeah. But uh, there's no... They give you get breaks. I would say you still have your light mo- like you kind still have of moments that are not know, not really. I mean, there's nothing that's funny. I mean, it's like well, not funny, but I mean, like you have, you have a lighter a lighter moment. It, for it, just it, a brief second. It is, but it's the thing is like okay, like the, what I would think of as Danny riding through the hallways. Yeah, buy some time. You get the geography of the hotel, which is all wacky. You're, it's the whimsy of a child because he's on a big wheel. But right. what does that scene really do? Well, freaks yeah. you the fuck out, well, kind of like yeah, you yeah. know, like it adds, it feeds into all the other uneasiness that's going on. Yeah, but I mean, you still have the moment like when they're down in the kitchen and um, Wendy is talking to uh, Danny. Yeah, you know, that's still it's yeah, it's still it's setting up for something. But you get to see like a little bit of a lighthearted moment between. Them. Right, it's like it's like honest character stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's but yeah, not, yeah, don't just throw in jokes. Is yeah, what I'm saying like you know, or don't you don't, don't have feel to have the need like oh I've gone four pages without having a laugh, right. a, a, right. like a laugh out loud. Right. Because it's the, that's how you get that's that's how you get garbage, honestly. Yeah. Because it feels calculated. Exactly. And then really think about not just think about those films that are just like a pure version of something. Right. But also think about films that are maybe mislabeled. Like I bring this up a lot. Yeah. Like Beverly Hills Cop is not a comedy. Yeah, no. It's an action movie with funny parts. Exactly. Which a lot of action movies have. Exactly. But because it's Eddie Murphy, right. you think it's a comedy. But rewatch Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. You know, like it's played like a straight cop movie. People die left and right. Yep. There's high stakes. Eddie Murphy gets the fuck beat out of him a couple times. Yeah. You know, the, the villains are dangerous. Yep. A couple of things are funny, but it's not a comedy film. Right. It's it's but an action film. Murphy's in it. Right. It's an action film with comedic moments. And, and I think that's more of where I was moving to with that. I mean, it doesn't have to... In a drama, you don't have to have comedy, but you have to have something other than just dark, 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 dark. <laughs> right, You've right. got to have, have a moment of light. Yeah, you've got to balance. Somewhere. You've got to balance the tone unless... Unless... You're really good at doing that, like Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like you get one, you get one good movie like that, like every ten years. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like those people are far few in between. Yeah, like Requiem for a Dream, Irreversible. Like you, you really have to human centipede. You have to be a certain kind of person to to pull one of those off and make it work. Right. And so I, I think that if you're if you're gonna go that route, really pay attention to the work that you're putting in. You know, right. Um, but yeah, that could all this could be a whole other episode. Yeah, I mean, I think we should. Yeah, fucking one should just be dissecting Beverly Hills Cop because that shit annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, that, that, because yeah. people. Well, it's just like looking at looking at aliens or the Alien series. Yeah, and thinking Ripley's a ninja. She's not. She's not at all. She's, she's just kind she's, of smarter than everybody yeah, else. She's well, and she's also a, a woman who's been through this already. Right. That's the whole thing. Like in the first one, she survives by luck, yeah, pretty exactly. much. Yeah. She 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 survives because she's 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 pretty much the last man standing. Yeah. Because she's had that experience, and everybody misjudges it in the second movie. Yeah. She survives again. Exactly. And so, and again, when three in three, you know, like they don't want to pay attention to her, or whatever. Yeah, but right. but she's not. Like I'll, the movie I think of that totally wrecks this is, is always uh, 
What's the Invisible Man, Kevin Bacon movie? The Hollow Man. The Hollow Man, yeah, yeah. Because they have Elizabeth Shue being like a researcher. I mean, should we end this and just start into a new episode? That's oh, no, no, that's fine. It could be however long. But, but, no, we, yeah, we but we'll going. wrap it up here soon. No, no, but, we keep going. Uh, but like, they have Elizabeth Shue just kind of being a researcher. You never see her. There's nothing in the movie that gives you the idea that she has a very particular set of skills. Right. But like when the shit goes down, she she's fucking sudden, like, sliding down the yeah. hallway on one leg with fire extinguisher. She's on Miss Badass. Yeah, like yeah. and I'm like, ah, oh, you're not. When did you become Lara Croft? Yeah, exactly. Lara Croft just got killed in that other room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like uh, so. But people misremember things because, right. like uh, right. that stuff I was saying about the heroin thing, like people always like want to name check Ripley. Yeah. And I was like, have you really paid attention to those movies and noticed why Ripley is a strong character? She's not because it's not what you think it is. Because she's she smart. Yeah, and you know she wields those guns and stuff. But watch those performances. Yeah, it's not comfortable. For she's her. not Rambo. You know yeah. what I mean? And there's actual like pathos going on when yeah. she's doing it. Well, and if you watch too, like when she holds the gun, she's not. I mean, this is coming from me. Like I, you know, raised around guns and shit. When you watch that shit, she's not holding a gun properly. Well, she's not super comfortable with exactly. it because like they know that that's not. She worked on a freaking mining ship. Yeah, you know exactly. So well, it's like you know when she's you know she's holding this gun. I mean, it's not the only reason that it's slightly she's slightly properly holding it is because of Hicks. Because Hicks Hicks showed her. Okay, so you do this, you do that. You know, you pop this back. That's how you eject. You know that kind of thing. Like right. And that, but that establishes that she at least knows kind of what to do. Unlike Hollow Man, where you don't get any of that. Well, yeah, and even if you did, it would still be stupid. Like I hate it when they when they do that. They foreshadow that shit in a movie, and you just know that that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like they show them at a Tybo class or something, and you know right. that's going to be how they she's fucking gonna, fight the bad she's guy. Gonna use Tybo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, like it's, it, but aliens is a, just side note. Aliens is a really good example of, you know, that whole dark, 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 dark. And then you have a little bit of light. It's because, you know, you have that whole moment with Newt and Ripley. You, you yeah, have those yeah. moments in like, well, Ripley and Hicks, you know, in the extended version. Well, yeah, cheesy, yeah. But still, yeah. James Cameron is like the master of making cheesy moves in movies. Pulling strings, but but totally just distracting you with the movie so that you don't go, that was fucking cheesy. Yeah, exactly. And I'm being manipulated. Exactly. Like, I think, because when I saw Avatar, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, I normally would not enjoy that a movie like that, yeah. but it got me in all the right ways, and yeah. because it was put together well, it didn't bother me that right. it was getting me. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, because he's he's a master of that sort of like cinematic sleight of hand, I think. Exactly. Spielberg is too, obviously, yeah. but... Um, yeah, the, that, those are the kind of things that I, I think people kind of miss the... They get the surface idea of what something... Or they think they have the surface idea of what something is about. Just like the Halloween remake. Uh, or Rob Zombie oh in general, man, honestly. I, like, you know, I know we have mutual friends or whatever, but I'm sorry. Like, one of the things that bugs me is that, like, for me... Rob Zombie and all his movies and just his approach to the genre is like going to a haunted house on Halloween. Like a, a haunted house attraction. Right. You get all the boogity boogity stuff that jumps out at you and the skeletons and pumpkins and creepy shit. And you ought to ask since just sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. But you seriously need to ask Ken about this because just on the note whenever we do interview. Oh yeah. Yeah. Trust me. Just, oh yeah. Does he love Rob Zombie? He doesn't it's not that he loves Rob Zombie. He hates Halloween. He hates Halloween remakes, but like Devil Rejects. Well, those. I mean, it's you know, like those I, I have less of a problem with those. Yeah. But I think it really started to 
It became caricature-y yeah. around Halloween because they think that that's what makes the movie good. Right. And, it's, and I'm like, if you like, go watch the original Halloween, it's not even really about Halloween. Exactly. Like, the most Halloween-y movie in that series is Halloween 3 because yeah. it's about Halloween. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's it happens on that night, but it's not... The trappings and all the trick-or-treaty stuff is just backdrop to this finely crafted suspense thriller that is scary because you don't know right. all the things you want to know. Right. And you don't need to know. Well, and it's speaking to that. Like, it's like, okay, so if you look at Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, what is scary about Michael Myers is he grew up in a middle-income home, no problems, the household was fine. Yeah, I remember seeing that the first time, and I was like, the kid got a cool costume for Halloween, and his house has two floors? Exactly. Holy what the fuck shit. is he complaining yeah, about? Exactly. And then all of a sudden... I live in a one-bedroom apartment. I have to share bunk beds with my sister. Like... Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, but then, why is this white kid pissed off? Right? But so that's... But the scary part about that is, is that the devil just possesses him. Like... That's what's scary, is or whatever you or want whatever to say. You want to say. Yeah, yeah. But like, like he says in the the quote that he says, you know, I saw the devil in his eyes. Right, black size devil's eyes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, or just something is just like fundamentally wrong. Like he's Ted Bundy or yeah. whatever. Like just that yeah. pure, pure evil, pure driven evil. Like, yeah, emptiness inside, ultimate sociopathy. You know, whatever. You yeah, want. exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, you have that. But so now let's clock forward to two thousand whatever. And here comes the Halloween remake, which I went and saw because I was like, oh, I'm kind of excited about this. Because, you know, I like Devil's Rejects, and you know, I was like, well, maybe I'll do a good job. So, went and saw it. And the first thing out of the hat, it's like, his mom's a stripper, which of course is Sherry Moon. And then you have his stepfather, who is kind of perfect. But that's what makes it that's what makes him go over the edge and like be this psychopathic killer and it's like that's not scary at all to me like that's just rather dumb it's like Rob Zombie we don't need to know about your life you right. know like if that's what happened yeah it's just too on the nose yeah I mean it's just too much and it's you know like I think like because he, he gets props because see a burning car he uh he wears like all that stuff is there and you get like the loud in your face Haunted house Halloween experience. Yeah. So you, people now immediately think, "Ooh, well, that movie successful was a scary movie because of that." But I disagree. Yeah. Because it's this like even if you think about Rob Zombie himself, whatever love you know, like whatever he likes or whatever love he has for the genre, great. But I think a lot of what like a lot of his success is due to the fact that he wears the costume. Yeah. Like a lot of other people that I know. Yeah. Like he's got a creepy name. He's got a bunch of tattoos. And he carries it, or you know, he wears it on his sleeve, literally. Yeah. But if you think about the guys that made all those movies we keep mentioning, like all the really, really classic, successful, scariest shit horror movies, right? John Carpenter, Wes Craven, David Cronenberg, um, you know, Stanley Kubrick. Like none of those dudes look like that. Right. None of those dudes. You know, like you would, if you walked out and saw David Cronenberg on the street. And hadn't seen Nightbreed, <laughs> yeah, or Jason X. You'd probably just you know talk to him like he's a normal guy or like a college professor, you know. But because you know, like they, it's they're 
their scariness is comes from within. Right. Which is way creepier to me. Well, it's even West. You said West. Right? Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, of course. Like that dude's a, you know, was a college professor. Yeah. Uh, you know, from a strict Christian upbringing. Yeah. And, but, you know, like his, the darkness came from within. And to me, that's way, that's way scarier. It leads to way scarier things than... You know the oogity boogity, everything on the outside, uh, funhouse version of of scary Horror, stuff. Yeah. yeah, which I can enjoy that stuff too. Yeah, but <clears throat> I think we're losing ground to that. In, you know, instead of the other. Right. Did there, you, there's not enough Cronenbergy Carpenter. There's I can't really think of anybody that's carrying that torch right now, except for maybe Nicholas Winding Rip and uh, like the guy that drive. Yeah. And, uh, I think Mike Mendez, yeah, because with Grave Dancers especially, yeah, he's pretty awesome. Like those, I think you know those types of guys. I'm sure there's a couple that I'm forgetting. Uh, shit, what's her name? Uh, uh, Jennifer Lynch. Okay, yeah. Jennifer Lynch, I think, could probably really kill at something like that. So let me ask, because I, I doubt you saw it because of your hatred for witches. No, um, I didn't see it. I know what you're going to ask. Lord of Salem. Yeah. I, I actually didn't even realize, realize it came out. To be honest, I watched it. Uh, and I have to say, it's probably one of his best. Yeah. But because it's original. Yeah. And it's not... It's not all the hooky boogie boogie stuff. Like, it's... Yeah. It's more of just like this in-depth, slow pace, scary as shit movie. Uh, that I think it was his first try at, okay, let me not do... The on the nose. This is just yeah. Well, I mean, if he matures, if he like matures a little bit, I guess into that, then great. Yeah. Uh, because I don't, I don't think he just is fake about liking horror. Yeah. Necessarily. <laughs> I mean, I have you know there are things that I'm kind of like really that that's a little too far, but yeah. Uh, I just don't. I think that he's kind of like it's almost like a Tarantino-ish thing. Where he's just regurgitating stuff that he likes. Yeah. But again, like very few people can do that successfully. Yeah. Tarantino, I think, is probably yeah. our, you know, this generation's only guy that can really do it and pull it off. And even for me, to a certain extent, that guy I'm kinda of like, oh, I'm tired of seeing this over and over. Don't get me wrong, I probably will go see Hateful Eight, but it literally just reminds me of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I just I'm kinda of, I'm just yeah. not into this stuff anymore. But honestly, like I talking about like sort of turning it starting at one thing and turning it into something else the part I like most of Inglorious Bastards was <clears throat> the first half of the movie where it's all like long John Forty sort of drawn out yeah. shots before it really became sort of like a Tarantino-ish movie right. like all the stuff with the you know uh, Christoph Waltz yeah like I was like holy shit man like this is pretty good it's not you know, it's not the same sort of thing. So, like, I'm all for that. Fuck, who am I to talk? I'm nobody. I'm not making money at this or a whole lot of it yet. But that's just kind of how I see it. And it kind of, it depresses me because I think with the way that the industry is now, these things that are becoming so super popular are kind of going to, because that's all that anybody's going to want, right. are kind of going to push out other things. You know, so every horror movie you get is going to be some funhouse take or remake on something yeah you know because that's what would be successful everything every action movie has to be a pastiche of previous successful action movies yeah you know kind of stuff so 
it's I, I can't write like that so I mean I, I, I don't even write to like first act rising action falling action type you know what yeah, I mean first yeah. second third act Sid Field kind of rules I just I never was into that because I don't think that's the movies I like aren't necessarily like that and uh, I find it hard to stick to that so I just kind of like write what I write and try to make it try to make it enjoyable and hopefully other people will enjoy it so um, yeah so I'm kind of an oddball like that so hopefully that's not the way the direction things go because I'm very bad at uh listening to or like listening to authority I guess I've always I've always like bristled at that so <clears throat> I guess that's why I'm a director yeah so I guess yeah we could probably wrap it up we've gone over but that's fine yeah um, this is the supersized holiday edition yeah holiday my bir- I can say it's my birthday, birthday edition. edition yeah my yeah, birthday edition yeah. for my birthday I got to bitch about stuff like Beverly Hills Cop and the Halloween remake yeah <laughs> So happy birthday to me! Happy early birthday to me! Yay! So yeah, I guess uh, keep keep on walk, walk uh, keep on watching out for the next episode. Hopefully, we'll get to some interviews uh, when we head back out uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, check upstartfilmworks.net. You can follow me on Twitter at upstartfilm. Instagram is the same. Chris, uh, follow me on both at cwar5454. All right. See you next time.